The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a large amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property, in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have paid, had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. So one of the duties that I have or jobs that I have which is really a great joy is to be the kind of chaplain or the head of our engaged encounter program and some of you who have been on engaged encounter you might be thinking oh you like that but it's really a great kind of weekend for couples as they're preparing for marriage and one of the reasons I like it so much is that we have a very wide variety of people that come on that weekend, right? Because you have to go. So you have very faithful people 
you have people who have grown up Catholic and they're, they're just there because their grandma is not going to come to their wedding unless they go to it. And then you have like atheists and kind of people all over the board. And one of the parts of the weekend that I like the most, probably some of my brother priests dread the most, is a question and answer session that we have on Saturday night. And so everybody's allowed to submit questions and then we answer the questions and, and we try to ask the couples to answer the questions before somebody with authority gives the answer. And on one particular weekend, there was this question of like, why do you have to confess your sins to the priest? And there is a little like, you know, debate coming up and pious graduates are trying to rack their brains for, you know, what did Father so-and-so say in 10th grade religion class? And then this non-baptized guy says this. Well, like, I'd imagine when you go to confession, like, the priest forgives you, right? And everybody says, well, yeah. Well, how do you know you're forgiven unless you have somebody tell you, I forgive you? And everybody goes, oh, that's a good answer. From this non-baptized person who's just observing from the outside. In the book of Sirach, or the book of Wisdom, Or the book of, sorry, I lost my place. The book of Sirach this morning. We read this. Can anyone refuse mercy to another like himself? Can he seek pardon for his own sins? And the sacred writer is writing about this dynamic of forgiveness that there are people who hold on to wrath and anger, right? Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. And it's an exhortation to seek forgiveness for our sins. That the Lord will always forgive us. But we, ha- we must go to him. And when we refuse to go to him, we end up in this kind of cycle of hurt and resentment, holding tight to wrath and anger. And that unforgiveness can become an obstacle to receiving grace. can become an obstacle to receiving grace. And so for this person, this atheist, it just seemed obvious that, well, of course you need to go and confess your sins. 
And then we know, of course, in John's Gospel, Jesus gives the apostles the power to forgive sins. He breathes on them and says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. And our Lord would not give that power, that ability, that authority to the apostles unless he expected them to use it. And so that resistance to sacramental confession is also in some way a sin against the first commandment because we're really saying, I don't need to use the tools that Jesus gave me to use. I sort of know better than our Lord what the plan for salvation is. But there are other ways that we can be resistant to the graces of forgiveness in the sacrament of reconciliation. In the gospel reading, our Lord answers Peter with the parable of the servant who owes a great debt to his master, and he goes to his master asking pardon. And the master, in fact, pardons him. But there's something that doesn't take. Even though he had been forgiven much, there's something that doesn't take. There's something that doesn't seek into his heart. Because immediately upon receiving that forgiveness, he goes out and finds everybody else who owes him money, and he exhorts it from them putting his fellow servant in jail after seizing him and starting to choke him. There's something that didn't translate from the forgiveness he had received from his master. It didn't translate into forgiveness towards his neighbor. And when we read this, we can say, what a horrible person. I can't believe he did that. But if we really reflect on our lives, we have to ask ourselves, am I like that servant? Am I ever like that servant? What didn't take for him? I'd imagine one of the things that didn't take for him was the fact that he needed to receive that mercy in the first place. And even after he was forgiven, he becomes preoccupied with paying off his debt to the master. To get even with him again. Probably because he didn't want to feel like he owed the master anything. And he wanted to stand on his own two feet.
He didn't want to receive a handout. Or he wanted to be independent. Or he felt like he should be able to get through all of this by himself without receiving the help of another person. Kind of having an allergy to vulnerability. And so he becomes preoccupied with paying the master back. And that dynamic is not very uncommon in our own culture. We're not a people that really likes to owe anybody anything. We don't really like to be beholden to people. Or sometimes we just have a hard time being loved by people or being taken care of by people. A couple of weeks ago, when I was traveling, I was meeting with some university students and we were just talking about you know, breaking free from habitual sin. And one of the guys was obviously very faithful, very good, good, good young man. And he posed this question of, you know, it seems like every time I really feel like I'm doing good and things are going well for me, that's when I tend to fall back into this habitual sin. It's not when things are going bad or when I'm sad or I'm feeling lonely. It's when everything's going well. And I don't get that. And that's also not really that uncommon. And in reflecting on this, I asked him this question, like, how good are you at taking compliments from people? Like, if somebody tells you, you know, I really admire you for X, Y, Z thing, how do you receive that? Well, I usually don't really believe them, and it makes me really uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to be affirmed by other people. So that totally makes sense. Like when things are going well, I have a hard time with that. And there's this cycle of putting ourselves back into this position of kind of chaos, or going back to a belief that we're not worthy of love. We haven't earned it enough yet. We're not good enough yet. I have to do all these things in order to be worthy of receiving our Lord's grace. How many times do we go to confession and receive our Lord's mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation, but then we leave the confessional still beating ourselves up for the fact that we had to go to confession in the first place? How many times do we go and we confess our sins and then we hear the priest say, I absolve you, I forgive you, our Lord loves you. And we still have that kind of voice in our head or that movement in our heart that says, eh. I don't really believe that's true. 
or that voice in our head that says, I have to make up for all these things in order for him to love me. How many times do we find it difficult to simply receive that? To be a sinner who needs mercy and then to receive that mercy and allow our Lord's love, mercy, and grace to transform our hearts. In the Gospels, how many times does Jesus encounter a sinner and say to them, whoa, you're a really bad sinner. You need to go and make reparation for all your sin, and then when you're done, come back and you can follow me. Never. But sometimes in our head, that's who Jesus is. And we're not very unlike this servant who receives this gift of grace, this gift of mercy, this gift of forgiveness. And then we go around <clears throat> kind of persecuting everybody else so that we can retain our independence. Because it's only in really receiving that from our Lord that we break out of that cycle of anger or wrath or resentment. It's our Lord who takes the initiative to break that cycle in our lives. And when we allow him to forgive us, when we allow him to love us, we're able then to forgive others from our heart because we've learned how to do it from Jesus. And so when we're struggling to forgive others, the sacrament of reconciliation is a powerful weapon. And it's a powerful school of forgiveness where we learn to forgive others by being forgiven by our Lord. As we deeply reflect on the fact that he loves us even though we're sinners. And he always allows us to start over with him. And he extends that grace to us always. That grace that flows from the cross in that moment in which Jesus gave his life in order to redeem us, in order to free us from our sins. That grace is always extended. And he patiently waits for us to come to him and to decide to allow that grace to enter into our lives. And that's really what he calls us to do with our neighbor. And that too can be very difficult for us 
one of the bigger obstacles to forgiving others in our own lives can be the fact that we really want them to come to us and apologize. I know people who have carried resentments for years and years and years and years. They've held tight to wrath and anger. Because they're waiting for somebody else to come and admit they were wrong. And in an ideal world, that's the goal. The goal is to repair relationships, and it takes two people to repair a relationship. It takes one person saying, I'm sorry, and another person saying, I forgive you. And then the relationship can be repaired. It can become something new. But forgiveness is simply canceling a debt. It's not necessarily the reparation of a relationship. In the gospel reading, the master forgives the debt of his servant and says, you don't owe me that anymore. In our lives, in our relationships, forgiveness means we forgive somebody something that they owe us. It might be with a parent or a mother-in-law or a coworker or a sibling. And we're waiting for them to become the sibling or the parent or the in-law that we wish they would be for us. I wish that they would come and apologize. I wish that they would be different. And we're waiting for them to change. because they owe us something, because they owe us a right relationship or respect or whatever it is. And so forgiveness in that case means, I forgive you what you owe me. I'm not gonna hold on to it. I'm not going to hold tight to wrath and anger. I'm not going to expect you to be the parent or sibling or in-law or coworker that I want you to be anymore. And we let go of that resentment. It doesn't heal the relationship, but it frees us from being preoccupied with resentments. That's really how our Lord forgave us. He forgave us from the cross all the sins that we would ever commit in our lives. And then he waits for us to come to him and say, I'm sorry. Forgiving others as he's forgiven us means we're able to let go of resentments and say, I forgive you for this offense. And then we too can sit back and wait for them to come and say, I'm sorry, in the hope that we can have reconciliation in our lives, in our relationships. It's what our Lord has called us to.
And in that way, we truly do learn from Jesus in that school of forgiveness what it means to forgive another from our hearts. And we let go of all of those obstacles to receiving his love, wrath, anger, resentment. And so whatever resentments you might be holding on to, I'd invite you, even during this Mass, during the offertory, during that time after receiving communion, to just pray, in the name of Jesus, I forgive person's name for whatever offense it is that they've committed. In the name of Jesus, I forgive Bob for never saying hello to me in the morning. And just ask our Lord to free you from that burden so that that space might be opened up in your own hearts. And we truly come to image and represent our Lord's love and mercy and forgiveness to each person that we encounter.